Usually, uh, my wife has a great sense of humor. <clears throat> but uh, like every comedian, um, I eventually found that limit with her. Um, one of the things I knew as we were engaged to be married is that God was going to use me to, to sharpen her and grow her and sanctify her in some way, and God was going to use her to do the same to me. And one of the things uh, that my wife is afflicted with is a fear of heights. And so I thought, what better time um, to start honing my wife and sharpening her and building her up to help her get over her fear of heights than at the Grand Canyon, right? So Grand Canyon is one of those places that if you haven't been, you just can't quite get it. You don't get it from pictures. But when you're standing on the edge of it, you just go, man, this, this exceeds every expectation I had. Um, and, and there are just, there's some ledges and there's, you know, different things. And some of it's marked off really clearly, but some of it's not. And, um, and uh, I thought, you know, I found this spot where I could immediately disappear from sight. And from one vantage point, it looked like I fell down into the Grand Canyon. And I thought, wouldn't that be hilarious? It wasn't. At least not to my wife. Um, the good news is, it takes 12 hours to drive from the Grand Canyon back to San Jose. And we needed every minute of that in the car alone to proceed with the wedding. And we are still happily married all these years later. Um, so it didn't quite devastate it, but it was close. Here's my question this morning for you. What are you afraid of? What is it that you're afraid of? Now, I love the providence of God. God chose to use those good people at Discovery Channel to line up Shark Week with the week that I'm discussing fear from the Scriptures. Don't you love that? Uh, this, is a, this is an annual holiday around our house is to watch Shark Week. For most of you, probably, it's pretty hard to talk openly about your fears. In fact, a lot of people take little games and they, and they do sleights of hand with their fears and they downgrade them to a concern. Or I'm not really f- afraid of this, but I'm, I'm anxious about it. I'm worried about it. Some dismiss fear altogether and pretend like they don't have any, which of course is nonsense. Fearing that maybe uh, if I have fears and express them, I will be thought of as weak. And I don't want to be thought of as weak. You know who has a very easy time talking openly and often about their fears? Children. Children do. You know why? They haven't thought that they should put on airs to think that anyone's weak. They're kids. So they talk openly about their fears. Of course the first day of school is scary. Duh! Of course you don't walk too near the edge of the bed, right? Of course the dark is scary. Of course chickens are terrifying. That's one of my kids. It's a little weird. But... uh there's, there's another side to fear, though. Kid, kids talk about their fears. They're not worried about discussing them and talking about them. But there's a flip side to it, and that's this. We have a very, very loud house for a number of reasons. But it gets no louder than when I'm playing monster or hide-and-go-seek with my kids. Um, I get really, really into characters uh, when, I, when I play them. And so uh, I will be around the house, and sometimes we'll play hide-and-go-seek, and you'll see the kids, and they are they are utterly convinced that at any moment, as they creep into this room looking for dad, super quiet, not knowing where he is, that at just about any moment, 
they're going to be scared out of their skin. Bow! And it happens, right? And they, ah! You know, they run. But then what do they do? They always come back for more. You know who has to end that game every time? Me. Right? Because they would do it forever. They love that game. What's weird is, look at it in entertainment. Look at what people pay to go do. We love to be afraid. We love that terror. And what it is with dad and hide and go seek is this. They keep coming back because they know dad is good and he's not really going to harm them. He knows that dad loves them. And so while it's scary, they actually press into that and they like that game a lot. We're going to be talking about fear this morning. What and who you fear says a lot about who you are. We started a series last week called Fighting Forest Fires, and fear certainly is one of those emotions that getting out of control would cause massive devastation in a life. So this morning's talk about how do we fight that? How, how do we prevent a forest fire of fear? Last week I was driving down Highway 120. Highway 120 is um, kind of leaving Groveland, heading to Yosemite. And for 45 minutes I looked to my side of the road, my side of the road, to the side of the road, and I saw utter devastation of a fire. And imagine going about 60 miles an hour for 45 minutes seeing this devastation. You may have remembered in the news about a year ago, the Rim Fire around Yosemite. Now, I could tell you the acreage, but that wouldn't be nearly as impressive as to tell you this. The landmass that was devastated by the Rim Fire near Yosemite is taking all of San Francisco, combining it with the city of Oakland, and then adding in a little town called San Jose. You take the landmass of those three cities, that's the landmass, that's the coverage that this fire uh, devastated up there. Now, allegedly, the guy happened to have pled not guilty this very week to, to this crime, but his story has changed several times. Fortunately, we're in a country that innocent until proven guilty. But allegedly, this fire was started by a single person and their campfire that wasn't tended properly. And that one campfire got out of control and caused enough damage to be the fifth worst fire in state history. Fear can be just like that. It's good until it isn't. Fear is actually helpful and powerful but with little warning at all, the winds can shift, it gets out of control, and it becomes an inferno causing destruction. This series, and today's no different, is really about a heart check. It's looking at some of these issues of the heart, and fear is certainly one of those. We live with some real threats around us, don't we? And those threats cause feelings, and those feelings go somewhere. And these feelings kind of can lodge into a heart, and they always, make no mistake about it, they always emerge back out into relationships. And sometimes they cause devastation in relationships. Sometimes they prevent relationships that might have had potential otherwise, but fear has kept it back. Healthy families provide space for their children's fears to be heard. They allow room to say, it's okay to talk about your fears. We don't shut that up here. We allow for that. 
But healthy families also provide reassurance, right? To come alongside and say, say, I'm here with you. More importantly, God's here with you and God's got it in his hands and he's faithful. My prayer for our church family is that this would be a place where we could express our fears. Where we could talk openly about our fears. That it'd be safe to say, I'm scared. Not worried. Not a little concerned. I am frightened. I'm terrified. I'm shaking. I don't know what to do. And that ours would be a family that would say, get over here. You don't run from that. You come to family when you're scared. That we'd let that be heard. But more importantly even is to, is to not just enter into that and let it, let it sit there. But in a sensitive way, in the right time, begin to show them, I can't promise you everything's going to be okay. I don't know that. But let me remind you that we serve a sovereign God. And far more important than me being here with my arm around you is He's here. Fear is such a powerful emotion. Think about the language that we use when we're talking about fear. We say things like this. I was gripped by fear. I was paralyzed by fear. I was ruled by fear. Take out your notes this morning. And what I want you to do is I want you to just write down three fears that you have. I'm going to ask for a couple later on, but you don't have to share them if you don't want. This is for your eyes only. So be honest. Just, just put it out there. What are a few fears that you have? Fears are so personal, aren't they? What's scary to you might not be to me. I thought about my last week and some of the things that went on and some of the things that some people are afraid of. A couple of us guys took a little trip to Yosemite, climbed Half Dome. And on this trip, we had some different things go on. In our campsite, uh, about maybe from me to Sean, here in the orange, was a bear. There was a bear in our campsite. He thought that our backpacking food was good. It wasn't. But he thought so, so he was in our campsite. It was a little scary to have that, right? About 20 yards away from, uh, from my tent, where I was sleeping, was a rattlesnake. And this is not a fish story, but it was a rattlesnake. About that big. The previous night, he was on the other side of our campsite. When you're wearing flip-flops around camp, you watch where you step in the middle of the night when you know those guys are out there, right? It's a little scary. Speaking of our tent, some of you are claustrophobic. Do you know how you sleep when you're backpacking? Pretend you're doing this for a long time. That's how you sleep, right? You're in a tiny, closed-in space. You're in a mummy bag, right? I'm not a sleeper like this. I'm more like this, right? And so this is a little bit confining. Some of you are afraid of the dark. It's really dark out there. While we were up there, um, we also saw some heights. And I told my wife to close her eyes in the first service. This is Half Dome. And uh, we crawled up to the edge and kind of got to peek at fear. And no matter who you are, that sends a little shudder down your spine going, wow, those are really massive trees down there, and they look tiny. Monday was uh, kind of our last blitz before school, and so we went to the boardwalk, more fears. Some of you are afraid of crowds. It was packed because it was dollar night. 
Some of you don't like roller coasters. We went on those. Some of you don't like throw-ups. Someone did that nearby, and that was close by. There's also an insanely creepy clown at that place, and some of you don't like clowns. Lots of things going on for fear. And then on Sunday, I'm doing public speaking. So you look at my last week. Some of you go, no thank you to a lot of that, right? Now, I don't tell you all those things to say, look how brave I am, because my fears are different than yours. You don't fear, probably like I do, getting peed on by a toddler any, any given night, right? That's probably not at the top concern of yours. You probably don't fear home projects like I do. You know why I fear home projects? Because I screw them up almost every single time. You probably don't fear chickens like one of my kids does, right? There's just different kinds of things. I'll tell you the last time. Think about a fear. Think about the last time where you were so afraid that something physiological happened that you felt it in your body. I remember exactly where I was. I was at Kaiser Santa Clara, and I was walking down a hallway to hear some test results back for my dad. And I was going to go meet my parents and be with them when they heard the news. Been there? Yeah. Some of us together have been there in this room. And I was doing okay. I was driving over there. I, was, I think I was listening to some scripture. I was really in a good place. I walked up the stairs, and I remember right where I was when I was walking along, and it was as if someone grabbed their hand in through my chest and took all my intestines and squeezed them. And I felt it felt hard to breathe in that moment. I was gripped by fear. And I was probably 50 yards away from where I was going to go be a support to my mom and dad. I did in that moment what Christians do. I cried out to my God. I just said, God, I am so afraid right now. What's so good about those moments, like leaning up over the edge and peering down into the abyss, is I came face to face in that moment with just how desperately I needed God. You know what? I needed him just as desperately on the drive over the week before and long before any test came back or was given. But in that moment, I sensed it. As I continued walking, before I even hit the room, you know how some of those breaths you take just seem to clear junk out? So God did. God gifted me like a super breath. And it just kind of cleared away. Well, most of you know the story. The test didn't go so hot from my vantage point. Dad's doing great in heaven. We're still struggling. I wasn't yanked out of the situation, but God came through in that hallway, and many in this room have experienced the same thing. Let me just invite you to do this. You can raise your hand if you want. You don't have to. But I, I want to show you how common some of our fears are. Okay? Um, anyone have death on their list as, as a fear? Raise your hand. Uh, how about living alone or being left alone, abandoned? Okay, yeah. Uh, how about letting other people down? Yeah. How about letting other people in, like a, like a fear of intimacy? How about cancer or some other illness? How about just the fear of failure? Okay. How about the fear of what if? Kind of that future fear of, of ever wondering and asking yourself and playing that deadly game, Right? When, when you look across this room, there's, there's a widespread of fears, but they're common. A lot of us share the same kinds of fears. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 46. And this morning, I don't want you just to turn to Psalm 46. I want you to remember Psalm 46. 
Bible's a big book. A lot of different places to turn in time of trouble. Psalm 46 is a song that you go to when you're scared. Remember it. I'm afraid. Psalm 46. While you're turning there, think about the different ways that fear manifests itself. There's kind of a classic look to fear sometimes, right? If you're a dog, your ears go back, your tail goes between your egg, and, and you give kind of that puppy dog look, and if you're a little tiny dog, I guess you lift your, you know, your little paw for effect. I submit. But there's another look to fear in dogs, and some of you have seen it. I was a paper boy at one point. That's a fearful dog right there. That dog is afraid, and it shows up as a snarling, loud, barking, angry dog. It's fearful. Some people try to mask or make a joke about their fear, right? They just clown around about it. They kind of they blow it off as a joke so they don't have to face it. They're still afraid. Maybe this should give compassion to our sour boss or our aggressive family member or that non-stop joking friend. Maybe they're just afraid. How sad it would be to read the body language of a dog better than people, but we do that sometimes. Sometimes we give more compassion to the dog too than to the people that we're around. Well, it's one thing to name our fears and maybe even write them down. It's another thing to be able to spot fear and kind of see it and feel it in ourselves. But what I really want to talk about this morning and spend the rest of our time with is this. How do we deal with our fear? What are we to do with these feelings? Let me give you three options. One is that we could live with it. We could manage it. Or we could defeat it. Those are three options, right? There's a fourth one. Conceal, don't feel, right? That was in a movie at one point. All that does is lead to ulcers and sleepless nights. That's really not a great way to deal with our fears, although many people try to do that. There's lots of tips out there about how to deal with fears. Most of you know about the keep calm and blank phenomenon. Keep calm and blank is about dealing with our fears. And they kind of come in some different categories. There's the keep calm and eat category. So it would say, you know, keep calm and eat chocolate. Keep calm and eat bacon, right? Keep calm and order a pizza. Now, as cutesy as that is on a poster, do people really deal with their problems this way? Yes! People eat all the time. Can you say comfort food, right? People deal with this all the time in this way. Keep calm and eat. Another one is keep calm and self-help. Here's what it sounds like. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and smile. Uh, keep calm and be awesome. Keep calm and try again. This is my best. This is my favorite one of this one. Keep calm and use your words. <laughs> we say that a lot around our house. And then there's just the weird category. These are people who are like, I don't have anything for you, but I'm just weird. Keep calm and love cats. Keep calm and learn Korean. Okay. <laughs> keep calm and use the force, nerd. Uh, keep calm. And here's the best one. Keep calm, and there's a picture of Psy doing the Gundam-style dance. You know, and it's like, what is that? Now, as silly as and, and, and ineffective as these posters and slogans are, 
some of the things that we try to do to handle or deal with our fear is equally so. God offers help. Psalm 46. Let's look at it. It says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. This is the foundation that we build on. God is a place of safety, a source of strength. He's present and He's there to help. Now, build on that foundation. Here's the result. Here's what comes with that. Verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And on the psalm goes. In any and every situation, God is in control and God is our strength to march forward. And God is our fort to retreat back into. And God is in always, every day, present. He's there with us. Flip over to Luke chapter 12. Psalm 46 is the appetizer. Luke 12 is going to be the meat of the message this morning. The Bible goes through great pains to teach us about fear and what we're supposed to do with our fear. In Luke 12, 4, this is Jesus talking, and He does what anyone who's in the know and has the power does for those that He's with that He loves. He comforts them. He offers some instruction. He offers them some warning because they're going to need it. And then He loops back again and He comforts them some more because we're weak people and we need a lot of comfort. So here's Jesus, the one in the know and the one with the power Instructing his followers, his friends. Luke 12, 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So are we to fear or not to fear? According to Jesus, the answer is yes. That's what he says. He tells us to do both, right? And he lays out who we should fear. His big idea is to fear the bigger threat. Remember the Greater Than series? Please say yes. yes. Thank you. Good. We were weeks in a Greater Than series, which is talking about of all the myriad of choices out here, if, what if we prioritize them so that the most important thing got most of our attention and our energy, and, and, and how would the rest of that sort out? What Jesus is saying in this, in this passage right here is he's saying, prioritize your fears. Get your fears straightened out. Get them prioritized in the right way. <clears throat> I want you to imagine for a moment if I had two ants crawling around on my hand and 
One of them was a bully ant. Not only was a bully, he's buffed. He was ripped. He worked out with Jesse, did CrossFit, all kinds of stuff. And he was threatening this other ant. Wouldn't it be silly for this ant right here to fear the other ant if he knew that a Dave was nearby? Because whatever this ant could do to this ant, the greatest threat to them, so to speak, is Dave, who doesn't tend to like ants. Now, before all you ant lovers write me an email, you know, if they're carrying off your picnic lunch, you're going to kill them too, right? This is a little bit of the picture. Now, the, the thrust of this passage isn't that he's threatening them with hell, although he very much shows hell's a real deal. It's, it's an instruction to get your fears in order. Don't fear the bully ant. That's nonsense when there's God. Right on the heels of talking about physical fear, those who kill the body, he moves on to the intimate knowledge that our sovereign God has of each and every one of us. Down to the point that the hairs on your head are numbered. It's not so much that God's a mathematician and loves numbers, it's that he loves you, and he knows you, and he cares about you. You know what Jesus is doing? He's moving from fear of flying, fear of spiders, fear of sickness, fear of financial ruin, and he's moving into the deeper waters. He's moving into fears like, am I valuable? Am I known? Does my life even have a purpose? And he moves into these things by showing the intimate, sovereign, loving care of God. So maybe you're asking this, are we to be afraid of God then? Or in awe of God? Because those are two different nuances to fear, correct? Here's the answer, yes. The answer to that question is yes. You go do the word study yourself in this passage. It doesn't say that we shouldn't be afraid of God. When you join God's family by faith in Jesus Christ, you never lose sight of who you're praying to, of who you're living life before, of the fact that he has the awesome power that in a moment could snuff us out. And yet, we're drawn to him in awe and in wonder. As Lucy said, we shouldn't think God as safe, but he is good. And because of that, like being terrified around dad, we're drawn to keep coming back to God. Now we all have fears that creep up in our life in different seasons. There's one fill in the blank this morning in your, in your handout, and it's this. That's that the fear of God melts all other fears. The fear of God melts all the others away. When that's in order, when that's in place, the other ones begin to dissipate. I want to show you two real-life examples from the Middle East, one from the ancient times, one from modern times. The ancient times would be a guy by the name of Nehemiah. It's in your Bible, middle of the Bible. I'd 
challenge you to at least read the first four chapters this week sometime. It lays it out in kind of a narrative style. What you'll see in the book of Nehemiah is this. Fear, don't fear. Fear, don't fear. Nehemiah is a remarkable example of fearing God and not fearing men. It starts off with this. He sees that the sovereign king has issued some decrees and the people of God have let that go and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so he confesses the sin of the people and he says this, we've acted very wickedly. He doesn't blame it on his ancestors. He doesn't look for a way out. He says, I have acted wickedly. And he repents. You know why? Because he fears God. God's given a decree. We're not living up to that. We're not doing that. We're not obeying that. Woe is me. Fears God. The king notices that he's sad. He's a cupbearer in the king's presence. The king notices that his countenance is down. And he asks him, what's the matter? And in that moment, you know what Nehemiah does? He's human. It says this, then I was very much afraid. Why? This king had ultimate authority. The king could say, you're bumming me out, go behead the guy. Go throw him in jail. Lose his job. Whatever. He was very much afraid, but you know what he did? He did, he did what the people of God do. He cried out to God in that moment. Read it for yourself. It must have been a few seconds between the king asking him what's the matter, him expressing, I was very much afraid. It says this, then I cried out to God. Then I talked to God. Then I prayed. And then he answers the king. It's, it's the hallway walk to hear the test. In that very moment, I was very much afraid, and then I called out to God, and then I gave my answer to the king. So he tells the king, what's up? You know what I can tell about Nehemiah? He fears God more than he fears men. It's obvious. There's a very, very obvious clue in there. It's his actions, right? If he feared man more than he feared God, he would have ditched the project to restore God's glory and rebuild the wall. Instead, he fears God more than man. So he proceeds. He begins to tell the king, here's, here's what's going on. He actually goes on to get resources and safe passage from the king and time off of work from the king. As he starts the building project, <clears throat> he was mocked and ridiculed. It's a bit of a pastime for people throughout history is to mock and ridicule Jews. They're starting to rebuild. Is this going to be rebuilt in a day? Man, a fleece that's on that thing, it's going to crumble. He didn't fear man. We know, because he kept building. When that didn't work, they moved to policy and politics, trying to make it essentially illegal for them to do this. He was not intimidated. He feared God more than government, more than policy, more than politics. You know how we know? He kept building. When that doesn't work, you know what they move to? Outright physical violence, threats. Now, at this point, we see that he fears God and uses godly common sense. He tells his people this. From now on, day and night, you'll hold a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. We're going to be ready for it if they come and attack us. But he didn't fear man more than God. We know that because he kept on building, right? It's a powerful story, illustration to see. You want to know who you fear? You just look at your actions. You do anything for God, you're going to meet opposition in various forms and in various stages. Fear God, 
keep building. Use your common sense. There's some, there's some powerful lessons in Nehemiah. The question for all this in this room is not if we're going to fear, it's who or what. That's it. Everyone's afraid. Everyone you meet is afraid. Fundamentally, I know life doesn't always fit into these neat little categories that people like me like to talk about, but fundamentally, if you fear men, you don't fear God. Period. If you fear God, you do not fear men. Period. Now again, I know there's experientially, we, we kind of vacillate a little bit between those two camps, don't we? Think about it for a moment. What man can do is get you booted off the earth. But they can't get you booted out of heaven. And why would we fear mankind when we're, when we're thinking about it straight-headed? All right, here's a second illustration, a second example that's happening right now. Probably most of you in this room know this, but right now it's being reported that the worst genocide since Rwanda happened is occurring right now in Iraq. And that ISIS forces are systematically exterminating Christians. There's a little campaign going on in the name of Islam that says this, convert or die. And it's happening right now to brothers and sisters in Christ. And this morning, as we think about that, I want to carve out some time in our service to pray for them. Because we're talking about fear, and we're able to joke about certain things and have a diverse amount of fears in here, in part because we're not being driven from our homes. There's not a mark going on our home saying Christians live here. Brothers and sisters in Iraq are crying out for help, fundamentally to God. Should the West and the rest care for them? Yes. Should we act? Yes. But God is their strength. God is their fort. God is the one who's the ever-present help in time of trouble. We're going to sing right now Psalm 46. This was written by a guy who knew a thing or two about fear, a guy by the name of Martin Luther. And he wrote it in German. It's been translated into English for us. And Christians have been singing this song for hundreds of years. And the lyrics are lifted straight out of Psalm 46. And as we sing this, I want to sing this as a prayer for people who this morning are being brutally killed or driven from their homes for one reason. They will not turn their back, like Judas, on Jesus Christ. But at the threat of death, they'll fear the one who's over all things. I want you to pray as you feel led, but let me steer you in a couple of ways with a couple of thoughts. Pray that they would take courage, Pray that today, right now, thousands of Christians in Iraq would wait on the Lord. 
Pray that their fear of God would be primary. And because of that, they would respond in such a way that their other fears melt. You know what my instinct always is in a situation like that? Get them out, Lord! Save them! I want justice right now! But so many times, that's not how God answers. I pray our thoughts and what we're praying about would extend elsewhere to those being persecuted for their faith this morning. We're going to be celebrating communion this morning, and Jesus started what we now call communion during an annual feast. It was a feast of remembrance. And God had commanded the people yearly to do this feast, to celebrate this meal, so that they would never forget. You see, God's people were living under a tyrant. And most of you know the story that God, through a series of plagues, graciously gave more and more display of His power. And with each passing plague, the opportunity to repent. After nine of them, the hard-hearted Pharaoh didn't repent. And a tenth and final plague was given, and it was that the firstborn in all of the land were going to die, man and beast. But God gifted the way of salvation, and there was one requirement, it was belief. He said, take an innocent, spotless lamb and kill it. And take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of your house. That's what I'm commanding you to do. That's God's plan of salvation to be spared from God's judgment. And the people of God believe. And so the death angel passed over those homes, catch this, that were covered in the blood. Now these were good Jewish boys eating the Passover meal with Jesus, so they had no doubt celebrated many a Passover meal. But think of how it landed on their ears. When Jesus, this one that John the Baptist introduced as the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, starts talking about some very scary, fearful things. And what he says is this, my body and blood are going to be beaten, killed, and given up. But let me tell you right now, this isn't being taken from me. I'm willingly laying my life down. Instead of removing the disciples, like most of us, and no doubt they would have wanted, from the discomfort, from the scary stuff, he entered in with his boys, he linked arms, and he walked with them through it. And maybe with a wink, the Bible doesn't say that, but he just said, trust me. Trust me. I'm in this with you. And they celebrated that first communion. I wanted to leave you with an action item this morning. My, my, my question is this. What is your fear danger today? There's different seasons where, where we're extremely afraid. And others where it's pretty mild and not so bad. Are you guarding against infernos? 
No matter how extremely fearful you are today, or how mild that fear might be, the fear of God melts all other fears. Proverbs says it's the beginning of wisdom. It's also the beginning of a priority list. And you get that settled, and the others dissipate. A Christian is one who fears God and nothing else. Some of you in this room right now are pondering an unknown future. Well, let's face it, we all are. None of us know the future. But some of your futures appear kind of scary, and they're filled with more unknowns than normal. Some of you are anxious about a mysterious symptom happening in your body, and it's unexplained. You're baffling doctors. Some of you are fretful about a wayward family member. Some of you are wondering this morning, how on earth are we going to make ends meet financially? On and on and on it could go. Fear is a liar, and it keeps many of us bound needlessly. Influential French resistance writer, I'll let you pronounce the name if you're French, he said this, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. Isn't that the nature of fear? Fear is a liar. We need to douse fear with truth. So this morning, my action item for you is this. I was gifted a verse of Scripture in high school. And it was of the coolest kind because it was directly from the Lord. I want to pass on this gift to you. It was gifted to me because I had committed in in my junior year of high school, I'm going to start reading God's Word every day. And I came across this passage. And what I want for you, some of you already have this, but what I want for you is I want you to pray this so much and think on this so much that it's not just that you're memorizing this verse, but this verse actually becomes a part of you. The verse says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it's easy to memorize a verse. It's the Spirit of God allows us to walk in that verse such that it becomes part of us. Band, come on up. As the communion comes by this morning, I want you to respect not me and how you take it, but I want you to respect and fear God in how to take it. He's given us some very clear instructions about it. If this is just a religious symbol and you're not really sure what it is, I would respectfully ask you to decline and let it pass. It would be actually a mockery just to take it. God's also given us this instruction. Not only is it for for those who are His by faith, but we're to do so not in an unworthy manner. What the Bible talks about is this, that that if we have sin with our brother and sister, that we ought to go and make that right before we come and bring our gift to the altar. That if we're living a sham or a or a lie, that we shouldn't 
eat and drink judgment in ourselves by not dealing with God first. So instead of leading us out all together, you're going to take it on your own timetable. As the elements come by, just grab a, a little a piece of the cracker, which is, which is yeast-free, which symbolizes the sinless body of Christ, and that little cup of juice. And in your own time, if you need to make something, something right with someone in this room, if you need to make a phone call, if you need to just make, do business with God, you do that. And then to think that what we're celebrating here today, friends, is that God has passed over our sin. Why? Because we're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. Let's pray. God, help us to be confident in you this morning. Help us to trust completely on your accomplishments your strength, your help, and never to run elsewhere or seek it in ourselves. God, we thank you for your ever-present help. That you're with us as you've promised to the ends of the world and the ends of the age. And God, in this symbol of communion this morning as we eat and drink before you and in community as a family, and as the elements become a part of us, God, we recognize and celebrate the fact that, that we're one with you by faith in Jesus Christ this morning. And we celebrate that today. In Jesus' name, amen.